0: Today, we're going to read over the wedding at Cana in Galilee, and we'll find that in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And so I invite you to hear these words of the first sign in the Gospel of John, the first miracle that points to something more. Hear these words from John, chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the gifts have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There is a United Methodist minister in North Carolina. His name is Dr. James Howell. And he uh, tells the story of how many times he's gotten the same greeting card from people in his church. They apparently would go and kind of look for greeting cards and they would find one that they thought he would like. And the greeting card is sort of a humorous, cartoonish uh, picture of a minister with a clergy collar getting pulled over by a police officer and there are captions over the picture of the minister looking very sorry and the police officer sort of standing sternly over him and the police officer says sir have you been drinking and the minister says no only water just water and the police officer says, then why don't you, why do you smell like wine? And the pastor says, amazing, he did it again. He turned water into wine. Uh, you know, this story, this miracle has an amazing moment where water is turned into Wine, And it brings up all kinds of questions within our minds as to, you know, what does alcohol or wine have to do with worship or with us sort of being Christians? Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? In the Methodist church, you might wonder why we use grape juice instead of wine, where a lot of more historic denominations use wine in communion. And the answer is it's supposed to be wine, but because of a history of social action towards alcoholism and abuse due to it, the United Methodist Church moved over to grape juice so that no one would be, in a sense, feel like they couldn't partake in communion because they were trying to abstain from alcohol. To make it safe for everybody. So there's this history of trying to make worship more open to everybody. No matter where they fall on that. But this miracle is not really about the wine. It's not really about the wine. It's more about what this miracle says about Jesus now what happens is Jesus and his mother and his disciples all are invited to attend this wedding in a town called Cana. Now we think we know where this town is, but it's not completely uh, you know, evident as that we found the right city. This city sort of vanished into history, even though we know it existed from the Bible and from other historical resources. We think it's about 10 miles outside of the town where Jesus grew up, Nazareth. Weddings often lasted several days, sometimes even a whole week. And it was the responsibility of the groom and his family to provide a feast for almost every one of those nights. Almost every one of those nights, people would eat and they would drink wine. And so you can imagine how easy it would be for all the wine to sort of run out after a few days of celebrating. Jesus and his disciples showed up. And it was, of course, at this moment where the story takes us with Jesus turning water to wine. This story is often referenced in weddings. Uh, Did you know that the United Methodist liturgy, when we perform a wedding, mentions that Jesus graced a wedding in Cana of Galilee, uh, in a way signifying the importance of marriage and its place within our faith. It also has become a, 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 a place for people to go and visit to restore or renew their wedding vows. People will travel to Israel to go and renew their vows in Cana of Galilee because it feels that close and special to Jesus and his, of course, emphasis upon this at the wedding. Signs. The miracle, the sign, is not really about the wine. It's more about what the turning of water into wine means and what it says about who Jesus is. Along the way, the Gospel of John, as we mentioned before, has these seven signs, and they're all supposed to help us understand the character of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, to, so, to know that he is someone special and someone important within our faith and within the history of the world. John wants to make clear that Jesus is more than everyone else thought he was. And that was hopefully clear if you were here last week and we focused on the baptism of Jesus, where John the Baptist heard everything that happened and saw the dove descending upon the head of Jesus. And he said to people, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is the one who's going to baptize you with something more than water. For John, these signs point beyond themselves and reveal more about jesus in one commentary about this passage i read this sentence in this story the identity of jesus and his ministry is introduced remember this is only the second chapter here his ministry is introduced with important symbols a joyous wedding six jewish ritual pots thirsty wedding guests and an abundance of wine so in this scenario the stage is sort of set for Jesus to do something great because there is a need in the wedding and its festivities but if you think about it running out of wine doesn't seem to be a very big divine emergency does it And Jesus seems to sort of act this way. Mary knows who Jesus is and knows what he's capable of, or at least believes in it. And so when the wine runs out, she looks over at Jesus and says, hey, do something about this. And Jesus seems a little reluctant, doesn't he? He seems a little reluctant to perform this miracle. And, you know, we might read it when he says, woman, what does this have to do with you and me? Is sort of being rude to his mother. But a lot of scholars have said that this wasn't really a a derogatory statement calling his his mother woman. Uh, It can be taken like that in Southern culture. Uh, where people might say man to their father or call their father by their first name instead of dad or daddy. Um, I was looking at my kids. You know, but this is not really a derogatory. It's basically Jesus saying, why is this the right time? Why does this moment matter? Jesus seems reluctant because it's not really a divine emergency. Nobody is suffering. Nobody needs healing, right? This is just a wedding that's run out of wine. And all that providing wine will do would be to save the the groom and his family from the social faux pas of running out of wine and sort of being looked at as being less than hospitable. But do you notice how Mary at the wedding doesn't even push Jesus to really consider doing it she doesn't bargain with him she doesn't remind him I'm your mother she just assumes he's going to do it right in the gospel of John after Jesus says woman what does this have to do with you and me she looks over at the uh, people that are there the sort of wait staff and says just do whatever he says she just assumes that he's going to follow through right Jesus does He follows through, and he turns water into wine. And I think that the commentary really is helpful in us understanding just how this moment speaks volumes about who Jesus is, even in his reluctance, at least at first. The Jewish uh, pots that they had, six of them, Six of them were used primarily for ritual cleansing, that people had to wash their hands or they would wash their feet or they would wash their bodies if they became ritually unclean, meaning that they did something or participated in something that was either unholy or unclean. And so they were kind of, you know, in a sense, not really in the right spiritual state to be with God or to do something important. So they had to ritually clean. This had nothing to do with dirt or germs. This is all about spiritual cleansing. There were six of these pots just kind of sitting there in the home. And did you notice they're all empty? They're all empty, which begs the question of, you know, how many people had to be ritually cleaned this week in this house <laughs> for what was going on? But the pots are empty and there are six of them and they hold about 20 or 30 gallons of, of water. Now, typically, this Jewish ritual water had to be water that naturally flowed. It couldn't just be, you know, picked up from uh, a, a, a water source. It had to be natural water that would either come by water, river, uh, rain, whatever, and they would collect that and use that. So, these these people, these waitstaff, have to go and get. Uh, all that water from one of those places where it naturally flowed. And they were getting gallons and gallons and gallons of water. If you think about it, there are six of these 20 to 30 gallon jugs. That's about 120 to 180 gallons of water. Think about a hot water heater and all the water that that holds. That's how much wine Jesus produces at this moment. 120 to 100 gallons of water turned into wine. The wedding is also important. The wedding is important because that is a moment where two people make a covenant with each other. And they, they promise to live together forever and to live in self-sacrifice. I saw a, an article recently this week about, uh, about marriage in the Christian way, the Christian form. And it said in big letters at the title, marriage is all about suffering. And some people said, amen. Um, (laughs) But what the title meant was suffering not in the terms of pain and regret, but in terms of putting yourself second and the other person first. Suffering meaning giving up for the sake of the other. Marriage is always about putting the other person first, serving them and not looking for your own way. So God... And, and the people of Israel in the Old Testament are said to be in a covenant relationship. And often, often the people are said to be married to God. And when they commit idolatry, it's like cheating on God. And so here's this wedding where the people are they are celebrating one covenant and Jesus, the son of God shows up and it's a an idea or a moment or a sign or a symbol that Jesus is here to renew the covenant of God with the people. The wine comes from the ritual water making them clean, and so it becomes good wine. Do you see where this is going? This announcement of Jesus in the sign of the turning of water to wine is less about the miracle and more about who Jesus is as the one that is renewing The covenant relationship between God and people. And then it comes to the abundance of wine. That's an important thing that the commentaries tell us about. The abundance of wine, having all these gallons upon gallons upon gallons of wine is very important as well. In the Old Testament, an abundance of wine, of good wine especially, is a sign that God's new age has arrived, meaning that the time of God's people to be without God or to be in suffering is over and that God has arrived and all good things are going to follow. If you were to read a passage like Amos chapter 9 verse 13, you would hear this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. Do you notice that? The mountains will be full of sweet wine, the hills will flow with it, and that is the sign that the days are coming that God would be there to restore Israel. In fact, the title that the New Revised Standard Version Study Bible uses for this section in Amos is The Restoration of David's Kingdom the idea that David and his leadership and rule over Israel would return when, when the hills were flowing with wine. And who is Jesus said to be? The descendant of King David through his earthly father, Jesus. Wine will be flowing in the hills. Why? Well, don't you think that if God does something wonderful, if God did something amazing, that the people would celebrate, that they would have Thanksgiving, that they would feast and talk about how great God is. It's not just that the the fields were flowing or the hills were flowing with wine just because it was a beautiful thing. It's because God is preparing a feast for people to celebrate. So here we have Jesus showing up at a wedding, turning water into wine as a sign of abundance so that the arrival of God's answer for the people's needs is made clear. These are all the signs that point to who Jesus is. And people around notice it. Now, let's think about who was there and who participated behind the scenes. There's Mary, who already believed. Mary already believed. She not only had lived as Jesus's mother for over 30 years, we think at this point, but she also had those angelic messengers who showed up before his birth and revealed to her who Jesus would be. So she believed already. And we can see that in how she looked at Jesus and said, what are you going to do about this? What about the disciples? This is the second chapter of the gospel of John. Jesus just recruited many of the disciples in the previous chapter. They have not gone very far with him. They have not seen all the wonderful miracles yet. This is the first one. And it says that when the disciples saw that those jars of water had been turned into good wine, great wine, it says at the very end of our passage today that they believed. They saw the miracle Maybe they understood where the sign was pointing to. And at least they began believing that Jesus was someone that God had sent. Even the the waitstaff knows this. They're the ones that take the wine uh, to the wine steward, the sort of uh, maitre d' or or sommelier or whatever it is we want to call it. You know, they, they knew who turned the water into wine. It doesn't really say anything about them believing, does it? But think about the the wine steward. The wine steward has no idea that this wine, this good wine, this excellent wine, just a few seconds ago was a bunch of water in clay jars. What about him? Maybe we see ourselves in Mary because we believe that Jesus is the son of God and he can do anything. Maybe we have been around Jesus long enough to know the wonderful deeds and the blessings he gives to us. And so we're ready to believe just like the disciples. But maybe some of us are a little bit more like the wine steward. You know, we we know Jesus is in attendance in our lives, but we don't realize all the things that he is doing for us. The wine steward tastes the wine and doesn't know that it used to be water. He knows it's, it's excellent. He knows that it is wonderful, but he doesn't understand the blessing that it actually is. Is that like you and me sometimes where we just look around and we see good things in our lives and we say, hmm, that's good. I'm glad that that happened. I'm glad that that's there for me. I'm, I'm glad this is working out for me. There's a, a song uh, with uh, John Prine recently that came out in the th- last few years uh, where uh, the title of the song is How Lucky. And one of the phrases is, how lucky can one man get? Sometimes we think about that in terms of luck, don't we? Hey, I'm lucky. We never think sometimes that some of these good things in our lives come from God. That they are actually blessings. They actually are designed to empower us to live better lives. Not only for ourselves, because usually whenever God does something amazing, it's not for us to hold on to, but to what? Give, share, spread on, right? You know, I once was sitting down for a blessing when I was in in college and I had normally grown up in a house where we did a blessing or grace. We normally did that, but we always sort of uh, prayed over the food itself. God make us thankful, bless this food, amen, right? I came from a very religious family and yet I had never heard this version of a grace. I was in college and I was sitting down at a meal with other people at church And the person praying over the food thanked the farmer. Then they thanked the truck driver who brought the food from the farm to the plant. Then they thanked the plant workers. Then they thanked the grocery store and all the grocery workers. And finally the cashiers, right? They thanked everybody in the chain that went from the farm to the plate. And it was a a sign not only that God had a hand in this, but so many other people we're involved in this transaction. Kind of thinking about the blessings that are behind the blessings, the work that went into the good things coming to us. Maybe we can be like the wine steward and we only see the good things in life for what we think they are, which is a good thing for us. Instead of an opportunity for us to thank God for his goodness and then also to see what we are called to do with that good thing. There is a uh, author named Max Lucado who has this wonderful uh, passage in a devotional that he wrote in a book decades ago. Max Lucado uh, has written almost a hundred books and many of them are devotional style books to help you understand and know who God is and that God loves you. And in one of the passages uh, in a devotional for a day, Max Lucado wrote this, Spend some time walking in the workshop of the heavens, seeing what God has done, and watch how your prayers are energized. Walk around in the workshop of heaven, see what God has done, and maybe your prayers will be energized. This is a beautiful sentence here to help us think about what we're learning from this passage and from the wine steward, right? The wine steward was in the workshop of heaven and didn't even know it, (laughs) right? He was in the workshop of heaven. He was sitting there tasting wine that had been miraculously transformed and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. If he had simply gone into the kitchen to say, what happened? He would have found out, wouldn't he? but we don't see that part of the story. If we're in the workshop of heaven and God is consistently doing good things and we are not looking around for them, we are missing it. We're missing what God is doing. You know, when I think about all the times that I have missed God's work in our lives or in my life, it's often because I did not take the leap of faith that I was being called to take and somebody else did, you know, that mission trip that I thought was a little too far outside of the country. And the other people came back telling these amazing stories or about the person I never called when I needed to, because they were hurting. They were, you know, having a difficult time and I didn't do it. But then I heard from another friend who called and they had an amazing conversation. Often It's because I forget that I'm in the workshop of heaven and I am reluctant to take that leap of faith and do what I feel, that nudge in my heart that God is asking me to take or to do. And when I miss those opportunities, I miss out on potential blessings coming my way. But even in my, in a sense, uh, lack of focus on what God is calling me to do, Blessings have their way of finding us, don't they? Even in the midst of our idolatry, like we talked about, or our forgetfulness, blessings seem to find their way to us. And we need to sort of be more like that person doing the blessing back when I was in college, of stopping and looking at the perspective of what happened, what went into providing this for us. It's not just luck, it's got to be God. It's got to be God working in people or through situations to make this happen good thing happen. Maybe we need to be more like what we think the wine steward should have done. When a blessing comes to us, when good things come to us, maybe by simply asking, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Can lead us into more gratitude and more thankfulness. Lucado, at the end of the passage says, if you do this, if you pay attention to the wonders in the workshop of heaven, your prayers will be energized. Do you notice that? Has anybody ever had a little difficult time praying or feeling thankful? Often, what ends up happening is that we're not paying attention, right? Lucado says that if we pay attention to what God is doing, our prayers will be energized, That that doesn't mean that they'll just be fixed and it'll be easy to pray, but we'll have something more to thank God for. All of us are called and challenged to realize that even this earth, even this earth, time and history with all of its ups and downs and the things that are just depressing and also the things that are just amazing is still the workshop of heaven. And there is nothing humanity can do to change that. It's still the workshop of heaven. That doesn't mean that everything is just fine and dandy, is it? But God is certainly at work. And the more we look for God, the more we hopefully will sense the opportunities that are being placed in our laps by God. All of us are challenged to spend time walking in the workshop of heaven and thanking God for what he has done. The sign wasn't just about turning water to wine. It was about pointing to who Jesus is and what he brings. And Jesus brings good things and he gives them to us abundantly. Abundantly just like all that wine. And the more we pay attention, the more we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and know with our heart, the more we'll be in tune with the God who's constantly at work in his workshop. Thanks be to God, amen. Well, thank you for joining us and I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, it's at 10 o'clock a.m., or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.